If you fall into these categories, remain standing, all right? If you have ever won a beauty pageant, remain standing. Everybody stay up right now. Okay, I'll tell you when to sit down because you all are all winners in my heart. All right. If you've ever been homecoming queen, the president of your student body, were you ever voted in as who's who? Were you an honor grad? Were you a valedictorian or salutatorian? Did you, were you an all-conference football player, basketball player, or one or the other, or any of the other sports? Were you uh, uh, maybe employee or teacher of the year? Um, were you a VP or higher in your organization, company? Now, if that fits you, please remain standing. Everybody else be seated, please. All right. This is the cream of the crop, all right? You're looking around here. But let me say something to y'all who remain standing. There's still hope for you, okay? <laughs> be seated, please. There's still hope for you because of the content of this message. Here's a life principle for you. You'll want to get it down. And it may seem a little bit odd, but as I say it, please hang on to it. You may be too big for God to use, but you cannot be too small for God to use. You may be too big for God to use, but you will not be too small for Him to use. You know, there's something about something in our mind that triggers us, and I'm not going to so much focus on those who have been successful or been chosen, elected, or whatever. That's not to downgrade those. It's more to look around the room to say, if I wasn't able to stand, then I'm a lesser of a person. Well, I want to tell you today that that myth needs to go out of our minds. And that God actually has a beautiful and awesome work to do in those that maybe don't make it in this world's standards, that aren't elected or selected or a part of the frozen chosen, I guess, if you call it that, that God can actually use you and do tremendous and beautiful things. But there's something about it. When we don't get the accolades from the world around us, sometimes we have this tendency that we want to stay on the porch. It's like it's, it's almost a sense of inferiority. It's, a, it's a, a feeling that comes over us, an emotion that comes over us. It says, I'm not worthy, I'm not able, I'm not capable of doing whatever fill-in-the-blank is. But in reality, you might be poised for one of the greatest works of God if you allow it to happen in your life. If you're willing to get off the porch. Now some people, again, are are just not willing for fear of getting off the porch. What that may mean to them is it may mean getting chomped up in this world or getting left behind or, or something like that or not being the lead dog. And if you're not the lead dog, the view never changes. You know what I mean by that? And so sometimes you just kind of never can get ahead or, or whatever. And the fear of even getting off the porch is there. Or maybe you try to get off the porch, and as soon as you get off the porch in life, then all of a sudden something barks at you, something snaps at you, you get hurt, and you, and you get pushed back onto the porch almost in, in, in a state of fear. It was a lady named Debbie who had this tremendous idea, she thought, to create a, a, a cookie store. And Debbie's cookie store was going to was going to sell soft cookies. So she got with some entrepreneurs to try to get sell her picture idea to them to hopefully that they would bite into that, no pun intended, but yeah, pun intended, I guess it was intended, uh, but uh, bite into the cookie idea, the soft cookie idea. And this is what the letter came back to Miss Debbie. It said that a cookie store is a bad idea. Besides, the market research reports say that America likes crispy cookies, not soft and chewy cookies, the way you like to make them. 
That was, the, that was written to Debbie Fields, the founder of Mrs. Fields Cookies. It's amazing sometimes how some people will point at you when you try to get off the porch until you get back on the porch. So whether it's your own voices inside your head or it's the voices that are around you that are saying you can't, you shouldn't, you're not worthy, you're not capable, then sometimes that feeling of an emotion of inferiority comes over us. The last message in this series on emotions is, is inferiority. And being able to, to understand and deal with the inferiority that we deal with in our life because if you don't understand it and you don't unpack it, then you must understand it will cripple you. It will cripple you to the point that you won't want to move. You will be fearful of moving and taking advances ahead and moving ahead in life. And so you must be vitally, vitally aware that inferiority may be something, a tool literally of, of the devil to stop you in what God wants to do through you. One of my mentors in the ministry early on was a pastor by the name of Adrian Rogers, and he's gone to be with the Lord now. But he makes this statement. He says, God takes ordinary people, and God does extraordinary things through ordinary people and brings glory to Himself. God just takes the ordinary Joes, and He is amazing whenever they yield themselves to Him what they're able to do. It's not God's priority that you have certain abilities. He would rather have your availability and appreciate the difference in the two. Is that you may not have the resume, you may not have the pedigree, you may not have the the networks going on your behalf, but you might just have an available heart and God at work in you calling you to do something that maybe has never been done before, maybe in market research isn't acceptable, or, or, or whatever it may be in your life and calling that He may be asking you to do completely out of the box and completely off the porch. But inferiority, again, will come in like an internal emotional fear that will hold us down and tie us back. And what we've really got to get in and we've really got to understand is what has God called me to do? And not ask so much, how am I going to do it, God? But what have you called me to do? Take your Bibles we find in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If there's one passage of Scripture, I always say my favorite passage here. <laughs> I've got a lot of favorite ones. But I would dare say that, that this passage of Scripture that we look at today was absolutely foundational in my life to me solidifying my course in life. Because whenever God began to call me to a vocational ministry and and not merely being a minister in the church as a volunteer, but actually vocationally, I I can remember, and I've told this story before, so hang with me if you've heard it, because it is truly my life. And really, I think today's message is, is kind of hard for me to spit out because it's so much of my life and I don't want to be focused on me. But it is my life. This passage is absolutely a, a, a stake in the ground that helped me go places that I would have never dreamed of going. When God began to call me into vocational ministry, I was, um, I was a troubled teenager to a point. I was uh, mischievous in many points. And I was not the smartest, uh, I was not the sharpest tool in the shed. 
And yet a older senior pastor told me as I was wrestling with this entire process, he said, Mike, uh, you're going to have to learn to like to learn and learn to like to read and learn to like to study. And those were all repulsive things to me. All right? And so I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to have to learn to like it. I'm going to have to look, fall in love with it. And at this point, it's like there's no way. But I somehow in that whole process, God was challenging me to get out of my comfort zone, off of the porch, and get into the game of which He was calling me to be a part of. And again, way out of my comfort zone. And so I had to come back to the realization of this is not something that I'm choosing for myself. I had other careers out there that I was choosing. But this is something that God preordained for me that I needed to get in on. And the thing is, is that my preordination of God is no greater than yours. God's calling you to be about something for Him. And the problem is that inferiority sometimes holds us back from moving ahead from where He may be leading And so I want you to begin reading with me in verse 26 of chapter 1 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. It says, For consider your calling. Now I'm going to emphasize four times in this one passage of Scripture where Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to remember what they've been called to do. They've been chosen. God is about calling us, choosing us, picking us out of this massive human population. And He has a plan for us. And it's a beautiful, awesome plan if we get on it. Now the thing is, is if we choose it and we say, now God bless my plan, we may not be on God's plan. And again, what His plan may be calling us to do may be way outside of our comfort zone and way off the porch. We've got to be willing to understand He's got a calling for us. So Paul just brings him back in verse 26. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh and not many mighty and not many noble... But God has chosen, there's another time that He has chosen, the foolish things of the world and to shame the wise. And God has chosen, there it is again, to walk, uh, the weak things of the world, to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world uh, and the, the despised, God has chosen four different times. He talks about being called. He talks about being chosen. God is about selecting us and choosing a path for us. The things that are not, so that we might nullify the things that are, are, so that the man, so that man may not boast before God, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, the righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Now, in this passage of Scripture, this was, again, a very fundamental passage of Scripture in my life to help me get off of the porch of a calling that I was not choosing, of a path that I was not looking for. But God was up to something in calling me to this. And from this passage right here, He taught me at least three things about Himself and His calling. And you might just want to jot them down and think them through in your own life because God may be up to something in you. And you're saying, listen, that was was a bad idea, God. Give me another callback when you got a better plan. Or whatever it may be that God may be calling you out to do and to be a part of, then you might need to just open your mind up that God may have chosen and called you to this. The very first thing we way to get off the porch in our life is to realize that our inferiority allows room for God's superiority. 
that whenever there's a margin of opportunity in my life, when there's a, when there's a, a, a deficit in my life, that, that really all the reasons that I can think of that, God, you can't be calling me. I have a rap sheet, God. You don't want me. I'm not smart enough, God. You can't use me. I'm not pretty enough, God. You can't use me. Whatever, fill in the blank that the inferiority that would come over us. It's in that state of inferiority that God's superiority can become great. And His name can become great and can do great things. And so much of it is in our life is we kind of sometimes beat ourselves out of God's will. We kind of beat ourselves down. There was one person who had a bumper sticker that said this on the back of his car. I took an IQ test and the results came back negative. You know, if, if you're at that point in your life where you feel like there's a negative mark over your life, then you need to hear this message. Because I want you to see who God chooses in this world. Because again, I might look at myself and I might say, God, I'm not qualified. You couldn't be calling me. But look at the, again these verses of Scripture because I want you to just underscore these words. He says, consider the calling, brethren, the calling that there were not many wise. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't choose wise people. But he doesn't choose many of them. According to the flesh, that is. And not many mighty. And not many noble. But now look at this next verse, verse 27. But God has chosen the word foolish, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And He has chosen the weak, they underscore the word weak, things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things, underscore the word base, things of the world. And the despised God has chosen. And the things that are not, underscore the word not. So here he is. He's giving the criteria of, of whom God is looking to choose. When God wants to do a great thing, he doesn't always go for the mightiest, the noblest, the prettiest, the smartest, the, the, the most gifted. He doesn't always do that. Now, he gives us gifts and he gives us these talents. And they're not negative and we don't need to put them in a box and hide them under the bed. But God does some of his greatest work. With the knots, the foolish, the nobodies, the despised of this world. God can do some amazing things. This is awesome, these words. The, the word foolish there is actually the Greek word moros. It's where we get our English word moron from. God chooses morons to do His work. So if you feel like a moron, then you're ripe and ready for God to use. He chooses the weak, the physically run down. He chooses the base, those who are born on the wrong side of the tracks. Those who are the knots and the nobodies and, and, and on the despised. Those who, they're the last one chosen for every team sport. I mean, they're the, always the last one chosen for whatever. They're never elected. They're despised. They're, they're, they're kind of on the outcast. The knots, he didn't even have a category here. They're just zeros. All right? They didn't get voted into who's who or who's not. All right? They're the knots out there. The knots, the, the despised, the, the base. God has chosen these people to do amazing things. You think about Joseph. Where did Joseph in the Bible end up? He was in a pit, but he ended up in the palace. Where did Moses end up? Moses was in the desert, but he ended up leading him to the promised land. You think about David. David was in the shepherd's pen, but he ended up in the king's pen. When you think about who God can choose and use out there, sometimes we might need to lower our standards and expectations on the individual so that we can see God's greatest superior work done in us. 
what would God want to do in your life? Whenever God began to call me in the 10th grade into ministry, I had a 5th grade reading level. And this pastor is telling me that I need to have, um, I need to learn to like to read, learn to like to study, all those things. I'm like, you crazy. I was in every resource class, remedial class in high school and in junior high that there was. I, 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 I used it as a crutch, yes, at times. But I, when I would go to the resource room, I would tell Lori, because we were high school sweethearts, I was going to study hall. She just didn't know I had like four study halls in one, in, in, in every day. She said, she said she knew immediately something was up. So I had a tremendous inferiority complex when I thought that I might be standing before people like you reading and talking, I had more reasons for God not to choose me than for Him to choose me. But God does amazing things. He's able to hit straight licks with crooked sticks so many times. He's able to take the knots and the nobodies and the despised and the rejected and, and the foolish morons of this world. and He's able to do amazing things with them. God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. I shared this message actually it's not the first time at Grace Point. I shared it back when we just were beginning the church. And I can remember talking with one, some of the founding members. And, and I just said, you know what? I've never started a church in America before. It says we can't fall off the ground floor, so let's just try it. And I can remember making this statement. It says we're right where we need to start a church. We are unsure, unqualified, and untrained. But we're willing and obedient in our hearts. And I wrote that statement down because I thought I need to come back and remind myself of that. And again, today we might look at Grace Point Church as this tremendous growth, whatever, success, and I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the day when it was just a handful of people and God was hitting straight licks with crooked sticks at that point as He wants to do in our life today. He wants to do an amazing thing in us and let's quit using the excuse, I can't, and let's start allowing God to say, yes, you can't, but I can through you. What does God want to do in you and through you that you won't let Him because you feel inferior? Allow room for His superiority to come in. The second thing that this passage teaches me is that our needs allow room for God's provision. Now, we're all encouraged by stories of self-made men. We all like that. Those are encouraging stories. But what I really want to see is I want to see a God-made man or a God-made woman. I want to see something that can't be explained by just hard work and good networks and and great friends and and, and being in the right place at the right time. I I don't want to, and just being the smartest one of the, I, I want to see God do a work in people's lives that cannot be explained. That it had to be God at work in the situation and circumstances. Look at verse 30. In verse 30, he tells us, He says, but by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. I want you to just underscore in your Bibles, if you will, by His doing. And see, the statement that I think we need to run through our life today is what in my life is by His doing? What in my life cannot be explained by networks, friends, relationships, graduation diplomas, resume, beauty or whatever else 
What in my life that it was by His work doing in me that enabled me to be where I am today? Can, can, I, can I find any thumbprint of God on my life? Now, we can have a false humility. And we can say, oh, yeah, I give credit, God credit for all. But truly in your heart, okay, do you have to look back and just kind of take a breath in every now and then and say, God, what are you up to? How are, how are you working this out? I can't see it. My, what a part of my life is a part of, is only because of His doing. And look what He wants to do in us. He wants to, uh, who, be, uh, who became to us wisdom. He wants to give us His wisdom. Righteousness. He wants to give us His righteousness. Sanctification. His sanctification. Redemption. He wants to redeem. He wants to do a, a work that cannot be done in any other form or fashion. What is God about in your life? In your needs, and identifying your needs only allows room for God's provision and God to be at work in your life. D.L. Moody pointed out in the life of Moses that Moses had three phases in his life. His first 40 years was when he was somebody. He was in Pharaoh's court. His next 40 years was when he was nobody. He was in the desert. The last 40 years of his life, was what God could do with a nobody. Where are, you, where are you in the stage of life? Are you a somebody? Are you a nobody? Are you a somebody that God has made from a nobody? Can you see His thumbprint anywhere in your life? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think it takes a broken spirit first at work inside of us before we can ever see the thumbprint of God. Where is He at work in your life? So much of it, if we're not careful, we will take credit for it. And we will allow our pride to take over. And we will look at our accomplishments. And we will not see God's fingerprint. And that's a very dangerous state of being. If you're older than... 30, you will remember this. If you're younger than 30, you will have read about it in history books. But if we know the story of the PTL club and Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, and I can remember as a, as a, as a high schooler watching that kind of unravel before them, this tremendous, huge television ministry and uh, just uh, blowing and going in so, many, in so many ways. And Richard Dorch was one of the leading advisors to the bakers and he was one of the ones who got collapsed and caved in on when the PTL ministry folded in and and this is what he made a statement some years following the scandal in, in an interview he said we must never stop checking our motives for we can start out consumed with a vision, a vision that we are going to do something great for God and for people. But as time goes on, the line separating the two becomes very, very thin. And if we are not careful, we will begin doing the vision for us more than we're doing the vision for God. And if we ever become the focus of the vision, and if we ever accomplish the vision, God may well say, you built it for your glory, so you will now have it, and He will leave. God wants to do an amazing work in our life. 
But if it's going to be about us, He may just step back and let us do it on our own. But whenever I still look at my life and I still see there's a cavity, I still see there's a need, and I still see there's an inferiority about what I'm doing, then I'm going to have to depend on Him. Then I have a need and He's going to have a provision. And I have inferiority and I will see His superiority. But when it's all about what I can do, when it's all about my fingerprint and not God's fingerprint, then I'm missing it. And what God may do, want to do in and through me. The third lesson that I learned in this passage, and it should be a constant reminder to us all, is that our humility allows room for God's exaltation. God is a jealous God. The Bible tells us that. And the Bible also says He will not share His glory with us. We need to let God be God, recognize that He is God, and honor Him for that, and honor Him for the work that He's doing in us. Not with a false humility, but with a true, down-deep humility about us. Why would God choose the base? Why would God choose the despised? Because they can't do it. They don't have the networks, the resources, the whatever, fill in the blank. And so because they can't, then God can, then God can get the glory. When we can, we don't need God, and we live a life that we don't need God. We live a life inside of our own little box, on our own little porch, however big our porch may be. Then we can never see God work, and all we see is our porch and our stuff and our thing, and this is what I did. But God loves us when we're in a humble state. In fact, God does great things for us. This is a paradox. I know it doesn't make sense. But God wants us in that humble state. Acts 29, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29 says it like this. It says, so that no man may boast before God. Now go down to verse 31. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God removes all our own props so that He can get all the glory in our lives. First Corinthians, excuse me, First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 this, says this. It says, Humble yourself under the hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. He literally fights against a prideful individual. He literally goes to war against arrogance. But what does He do for the humble? For the person who realizes they can't, but God can. He actually reaches down and He exalts them. He wants to use humble people who might feel inferior, who might see all the needs of why they can't do what they are being called to do, I can't teach children in preschool. I've never done that before. I can't go on a mission trip. That's scary. I've got all these reasons of why I can't do why, why, what God is calling me to do. And it's in that state that God can do some of His most beautiful and awesome work. The writer of the, the mini-series and, and book, Alex uh, Roots, Alex Haley, had a, a picture of in his office for a number of years of a turtle on a fence. And he said this, he says, if you see the turtle on the fence post, 
you know that he had some help. Anytime I start to think, wow, isn't this marvelous what I've done? I look at the picture and remember how this turtle, me, got on the post. You know, I think it's a pretty good reality check for us in our own lives. When we can look at our fence post, whatever fence post we're on, and we say, you know what? I see God's fingerprint on my life. He got me here. So God, I humbly come to you in my life. And I give my life fully and completely to you because I know I'm not here because of myself. Now, if you sit there and you're sitting here thinking that, then don't pray that prayer. But if you can look back at your life and you say, Oh God, oh God, thank you for where you've taken me. Thank you for where, where you're leading me. Now, God, where do you want to take me in the future? Take me nowhere, God, that you are not the center of it. Take me nowhere, God, if I am going to be the one who claims the glory. Take me. Lead me. Call me. Choose me. If you can get the glory in my life. If you feel base, despised, foolish, rejected, you're in a beautiful spot today. For God to do a beautiful work in you today. Are you willing to listen and obey? Let's bow our heads. This message is one of those messages that really is one that I cannot even begin to answer for anybody in this room. Because you may be that quiet individual who sits to the side, but you know full well in your heart, and I can't see it. I, I, I don't. You're not front center stage. You're not. You're not. We're not in constant interaction in your life. But you know that in your heart that there has been a, a yearning, a calling of God, that He has chosen you for something, and you might can fill in that blank today, or you may not be able to. But all you're dishing back to God is the reasons why you can't, why you won't, why you're inferior. Because there's needs that you can't figure out how He's going to meet them. Because you're not strong enough. Allow Him to work in your humility. Allow Him to work in your poverty. Allow Him to work in your inferiority. So at the end of your life, and even before the end of your life, you will walk humbly, consciously aware that God is in you and He's working through you. Father God, take our lives. Use them. There's really nothing about us, God, that makes us worthy. You don't need our money. You don't need our talents. You don't need our personalities. You don't need our experiences. You don't need our awards and our fancy resumes. You just want us. Just us. Just us. So you can do beautiful 
marvelous, amazing works. Father God, we just offer ourselves to you right now. In Jesus' name.